Well, good morning. I'm glad that you're here today. I told Yancey I prefer to think it's the holidays that makes people gone when I speak, but I don't know, maybe it's me. Uh, we've got a lot of people traveling this weekend, but you know, the message of God is important to us all the time. And Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount had a message for you and I that we're going to talk about today. And he said, as Eddie read for us this morning, don't worry. Don't worry about stuff. You know, he begins this passage like a a lot of places in the Bible. He begins this passage with the word, therefore. He says, therefore I say to you, don't worry. Years ago, I remember my dad telling me, every time in the Bible you see the word, therefore, you need to back up and see what it's there for. And what he meant by that is, therefore means because of what I just said. Because of what I just said to you, don't worry. Well, what had Jesus just said? It's not a part of the text of this, and there will be another lesson on these things that Jesus said. But just a brief summary of the things that Jesus has just told them. He said, do not lay up for yourselves treasure on earth, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be. He says, if you love this world and you put your heart and effort or your mind and your effort into building up treasures here, your heart is going to be right where your treasure is. You know, I've learned that in my life, haven't you? Uh, A few years ago, I had a friend that decided a TV was a hindrance to him. So he took his TV and put it in the closet. You know, that's one. That's a good thing to do if, if TV's a hindrance to you. But he just had a little TV. You know, if you had one of these great big 4K, 3D, nice with the sound bars and the surround sound and the, the direct TV, super gold, silver, platinum package with... It'd be tough to put that in the closet. <laughs> you know, the more invested you are in something, the more it matters to you, right? Jesus said... Don't lay up treasure because your heart's going to follow that. The next thing he said is if your eye's healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye's dark, you're going to be full of darkness. He's saying if you set your eyes on corrupt things in this world, you're going to be corrupt in your heart. And then he said, no one can serve two masters. You cannot serve God and money. Can't do it. You can't serve God and this world. It just can't be done. Therefore, I say to you, don't worry. Now, you know, there are a lot of passages in the Bible that are difficult to understand. Even the Apostle Peter said some of the stuff Paul wrote is very difficult to understand. And some things in the Bible you read and you're going, well, I'm just not sure I really understand exactly what that... This one is not one of those passages. This one is as plain as the nose on your face. Don't worry. He gives that command three times in these passages that we're going to read. It takes center stage for a good portion of the greatest sermon ever preached. Don't worry. Now we've got all kinds of words that we use for worry. Oh, tell you what, I've just got apprehension. I'm just agitated. Some of those are a little hard to read, aren't they? I got the the heebie-jeebies, or the willies, 
Those are some terms we use for it. Sometimes people say, I'm just concerned or, or I've got an uneasiness or I'm just stewing on what's going to happen. We've got all kinds of words we use for that. But the truth is we all know what worry is, don't we? Every one of us here knows what worry is. What's that make you think of? Terror attacks in Paris. Does that worry you? Did that worry you at all when that happened? Some people are nodding a little bit. When it happened in New York, did that worry you? I mean, it's concerning, isn't it? You think about that? It's a little more worrisome to me than it might be to some people because I travel over there sometimes. It's more worrisome to my wife because I travel over there sometimes. You know what worry is? Worry is that foreboding sense of anxious dread that something bad, something beyond your control is out of control. Something you can't do anything about. That foreboding sense of anxious dread, you know, that, that, you know, your wife or child is never going to be the same again. Or that everything you've worked for is crumbling and there's nothing you can do about it and you're fixing to lose it all. Or that you're never going to get well. That you're never going to beat this. That you're never going to overcome it. Or that that loved one, that person you love so dearly that you're you're never going to see him again. We've all had those concerns at times. It's a preoccupation in the present with fear of what may take place in the future. I am currently preoccupied with a fear of what's going to happen or might happen in the future. When I was 10 years old, give or take, probably 10 or 11, my parents went to town and they left me at home with my younger siblings. I know nowadays 10 too young to do that, but back in those days, they could do that. And they were said, we'll just run into town for a minute. We'll be back in just a couple of minutes. You stay here with the kids. And they took off and went to town. And as a kid, we just played, and I didn't think much about it until they had been gone for probably an hour or an hour and a half. And there were no cell phones. I couldn't call mom. I couldn't say, hey, where are you at? And I knew they were just running to town and coming right back. I didn't know where in town they were going. I wouldn't have known where to call if I could have called somewhere. And I began to get worried. I remember to this day, by the time... Now, they had run into Bud and Margaret downtown and were there visiting with Bud and Margaret and time just got away from them. But I didn't know that. And I'm going to tell you, by the time they got home, in my mind, we'd already had the funeral and they were not splitting us kids up. I don't know where they were sending us, but I was going to keep the family together. And I mean, I was worked almost into a panic. You can see that as a little kid, but you can see that because you've done things like that in your life, haven't you? We've all been down that path to some degree. You know, worry, 
they tell us scientifically is physically bad for you. Um, Charles Mayo, that ran the Mayo Clinic, said this, Worry affects circulation, the heart, the glands, the whole nervous system, and profoundly affects the heart. I have never known a man who died from overwork, but many who died from doubt or worry. He says, worry will kill you. And you know that. You know how when you worry, you're just... You get tense and all worked up. And physically, it's not good for people. People can have a heart attack. They can have all kinds of problems from worry. Now, uh, Robert Frost, the poet, in replying to this kind of thing, said this, more pe- the reason why worry kills more people than works is because more people worry than work. <laughs> yeah. But you know... The reason that's funny to us is a couple of fold. One, that a lot of people don't work. But two, we all worry. We all have trouble with worry sometimes. The word worry itself actually comes from an old English word, wirgen, which developed through time to become our word worry. You know what that originally meant? It meant to strangle. So the picture is here when I talk about worry, somebody choking themselves, strangling themselves. Now, obviously, I mean, you could get a rope and hang yourself, but you couldn't strangle yourself. Till you, uh, you might could do it till you passed out, and then your grip would loosen and you'd start breathing again. But in a lot of ways, that's what worry is. Worry strangles you. It restricts you. It it harms you, it holds you down physically, mentally, and spiritually. Not just in physical ways. It's spiritually harmful. Jesus said this, Now the ones who fell among thorns, and this was the parable of the seed and the sower, the ones who fell among thorns are those who, when they have heard, go out and are choked with cares, riches, and pleasures of life and bring no fruit to maturity. That strangling, that choking that happens... And he says it will choke out your spiritual life. Now, not just worry, but the cares, the worries of this world are one of the things he lists there. If you worry, it's going to choke spiritually you. Now, all of us worry some, but if that becomes a a habit or a way of life... You know, in the old King James, the way I learned this passage... He said, take no thought. Therefore I say unto you, take no thought for your life, what you shall eat or what you shall drink, nor yet for your body what you shall put on. Is not life more than meat and the body more than raiment? And that phrase, take no thought. I mean, that sounds like let go and let God, doesn't it? I mean, it sounds like don't make any plans, don't buy insurance, don't have a retirement, don't don't think at all about tomorrow. Just go through life thinking only about what's right in front of you at the moment. And some people teach that. That's not a biblical concept. That's not what don't worry means. Don't worry does not mean don't plan. In fact, passages like Proverbs 22 says, A prudent man foresees evil and hides himself, but the simple pass on and are punished. That means think about what's coming, doesn't it? It means keep your eyes ahead. It means look into the horizon and see what's coming 
as well as you can and make preparation to deal with that. So it's not wrong to make plans. Many passages in the Bible teach that there's nothing wrong with making plans. I'm going to scoot that up a little so it doesn't keep hitting. Another thing that don't worry doesn't mean, we're going to get a lot of negatives in here, don't worry doesn't mean don't care. Okay? When Jesus said don't worry, He didn't mean just don't care. He didn't mean, hey, you know what? I'm going to eat whatever kind of garbage I want to eat. If it kills me, it kills me. And I'm going to play in the street and stand outside and watch tornadoes and, and I'm just going to do whatever I want to do. I'm going to waste it. I spend every penny that I earn the minute I earn it and not work to prepare for tomorrow. That's not what that means. The Bible doesn't teach us that we shouldn't have concern for the things that are coming. When he says don't worry, he doesn't mean don't be concerned or don't care. <coughs> Excuse me. Concern is when you can do something to help a situation, so you do what you can. It's okay if you have a health problem to be concerned about that and do what you can about it. You know, if you got a spot and it looks like cancer and you think it might be cancer, don't just ignore it and go, oh, I hope it's not cancer, I worry it's not. Don't do that. Go see a doctor. If you catch it early, they can probably cut it out and you'll live. Do what you can about the job. If you lose your job, don't just sit at home and go, oh, I don't know what's going to... Go out and look for another job. There's some things you can do. You should have concern about those things. But worry is when you can't do something, but you don't want to leave it up to God. It's something you have no control over in the future. But you don't want to leave that up to God. You want to do something about it. Now, Larry has told me several times since I've gotten to know him, well, I just learned, only worry about stuff you can do something about, stuff you can't do something about, don't worry about it. (laughs) That's true. There's a difference. Something you can do something about, you should have concern and care and try to address that. But Jesus in this text here then gives three reasons not to worry. Number one, Life is about more than food. He says, do not worry about your life. What you'll eat or what you'll drink or about your body, what you'll put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? What's more important? That God wakes you up tomorrow or what you're going to have for breakfast? Well, that God's going to wake me up tomorrow, right? If God can wake you up tomorrow, can't He also feed you tomorrow? Absolutely, God can do that. You see, here He's arguing from something that's greater to the lesser. We worry about stuff that's lesser all the time, don't we? You know, poor people worry about having food and clothes. Rich people worry about what kind of food and what style the clothes are. That's a difference, you know. And which one are we? Well, we're a little more... On the rich side, aren't we? Because I know around my house at times it can be a pretty serious deal about the style of the clothing that someone's wearing and what people are going to think about that, you know? That's... Jesus says how how sad that is to be worried and concerned, upset, have angst or trouble in your heart over stuff that doesn't matter. 
Just as long as you have some food and you have some clothes, He tells us many times, therewith be content. Be content with food and clothes. Don't worry. Now, I know I've heard sermons and I've preached in sermons and I know you've heard sermons where they say, God just promised you clothes. He didn't promise you new Nikes. And that's absolutely what he's saying right here. He's saying, why would you worry about the little things like food and clothes when Jesus has already, God has already given you life? Do you think if He gave you life, that He is also capable of sustaining your life? Why give you life and then not sustain it? So, when you think about worry, when you think about your food and your clothes, think about the fact that life is more than about food or clothes. Life is about things that are far more important than what we're going to eat or what we're going to wear. Secondly, he says God cares for lesser than you. Look at this. Look at the birds of the air. For they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? He says God takes care of birds. You know you were created in the image of God. Did you know that? You knew that, right? We've talked about that. Did you know that birds were not created in the image of God? God still loves them. He still cares for them. He still provides for the birds. Now, the truth is the birds spend time and effort working. Birds build nests and they go and they scratch around in the leaves to find the worms and gnats and all the good birdie goodies that God has for them. But God provides that for the birds. So his argument to them is if God cares about birds, do you not think He'll care about you? In fact, Jesus said this in another place. He said, Are not two sparrows sold for a copper coin? And not one of them falls to the ground apart from your Father's will? But the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Do not fear, therefore. You are of more value than many sparrows. I love my family. I love my kids. We took a uh, class in uh, first aid one time, learned CPR and all that when our kids were young. So if something happens, I could be able to save my kids. And one of the things the guy taught us is he says, everywhere you go, you carry around your EKG machine. That's those two fingers right there. And you can lay that right here and you can feel someone's pulse. He said, take some practice though. The average person doesn't necessarily know exactly where to do that. He says, you need to practice with your kids. You need to practice with your family so that you can just walk up, put your finger on them, and you know whether they've got a pulse or not. Because you don't want to do CPR on someone who has a pulse. Okay? So you know what I did? Four months while my kids were sleeping... I'd just walk in and I'd put my finger right there. And I got, I'd just walk up to them in the day and I'd put my finger right there. And I got to where I mean 100% of the time. You know why? Because I love my kids. But I don't love them enough to, while they're sleeping, count the numbers of all the hairs in their heads. <laughs> I, that's just beyond me. 
God loves you so much that no matter how many or how few hairs there are on your head, He knows that. And He says this, birds are worth nothing and not a one of them falls to the ground without God knowing it and without it being in His will. He knows you so well. He knows the exact number of hairs on your head. Do you not think you're valuable to Him? Do you not think you matter to Him? You sure do. You matter tremendously to God. And God cares for all kinds of lesser things. God cares for lilies of the field. Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, and yet I say to you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. He says, you look at the flowers in the field. All of this stuff. It's worth nothing. We walk on these things in the field. And God makes them beautiful. And they don't do anything. Now what He's teaching us here is not you should not do anything. What He's teaching is that God's providential care extends even to plants and animals. So why would we think that God cared enough to create us in His image, make us like Him, give us life, and then not care for us? That doesn't make any sense. It's unreasonable for Christian people to have those concerns. And then he says, worry is futile. Which of you by worrying can add one cubit to his stature? So why do you worry about clothing? He says, (coughs) there's nothing you can do. A cubit's about 18 inches. There's not a thing you can think about that's going to make you grow 18 inches. (laughs) You just can't do it. If you could, Rusty Springer would be taller than he is today. We tease him all the time about being so short. There's... There's nothing you can do about how tall or how short you are. These two guys in the picture, one of them's tall and one of them's short, and there's nothing they can do about it. They can't worry their way to it. They can't think about it. They can't exercise. There's just, it's futile, it's silly to sit around thinking about growing 18 inches. You can't do it. So he says, if you can't take care of anything, that's serious, like growing, by thinking about it. He says, what good does it do to think about clothing? You know, I'll think about and plan for... Jessie's getting married and she's got a wedding dress. And she thought about that dress and she went and looked. Now, she picked it out real quick. She didn't agonize for months and months like some brides do. I was proud of that, happy about that. But you know... Something could happen to that dress between now and then. I mean, she's hung it in mom and daddy's closet to keep it safe and keep, but you know, something can happen to it. She's got a little brother. <laughs> something could happen to that dress. We just don't know. We're taking it to Oklahoma to have some uh, alterations done on it. Something could happen. You know, we could have car wreck and the car burn and the dress burn up. You just... 
Worrying about it and thinking about it does not guarantee any results, you see. It's futile. It's useless to worry about something that you can't do anything about. Everything you have today may be gone tomorrow. The guy who put the roof on this church building for us, put the shingles on here. He put shingles on my house. And I spent some time visiting with him, getting to know him a little bit. Don Legrone, he's a good guy. But he was telling me that his wife is uh, of Arabic descent and she came from Kuwait. And her uncle was one of the richest men in Kuwait. Had tremendous amount of money. Very wealthy sheik over in, in Kuwait. Until Saddam Hussein invaded And in one day, lost everything. He went from being tremendously wealthy to only having what he had on him. One day. Some of you can identify with things like that. The truth is, we can't control tomorrow. We just can't do it. And so it's futile or useless to think about or worry about what's going to happen Tomorrow. You know, ultimately, Jesus says, worry is faithlessness. Now, if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will He not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? And I'm going to tell you, Jesus says three times in this passage, don't worry. That's a direct command from Jesus. From the lips of Jesus, it's even in red in your Bible, okay? If you disobey that command, it's a sin. It's not just the way we are. And if you are a worrying Christian, you are a sinning Christian. Because it is sin to worry. And it's sin to worry for several reasons. Jesus is going to talk about a couple of them here. But fundamentally, when I worry, I'm looking at God and I'm saying, I do not trust you to take care of tomorrow. Little faith. I don't trust God. You know, trust is a hard thing for all of us at times, especially once you've been burned. Once you get burned, it's hard to believe. My kids, I know you know the story, or many of you do, about we have stairs in our house and, and I would have my kids jump to me and they would be up on the top of the stairs and I, we'd always start out one stair down and they'd jump and then I'd move two steps down, they'd jump and three steps and you know as I got down further and further and further, it was harder and harder. But they'd always jump because daddy always caught them. But if there would have ever been one time that I, they'd have jumped and I'd gone, whoop! <laughs> Do you think I'd ever got them to jump again? No. But they had trust in me. It's why they would do that. If I worry, I'm telling God, I don't trust you. I know you gave me life. I know you created me. I know you made me in your image, but I just don't trust you to take care of stuff that I need tomorrow. You know, in reality, worry is practical atheism. I know Dustin's been talking to some atheists. Practical atheism is people who live like they, or claim they believe in God, but live like they don't. 
practical atheism is what worry is. Worry is saying to God, I, I just don't trust that you're the God of the Bible who will take care of me tomorrow. And Jesus says, fundamentally, you've got to trust God. You've got to believe in God. You've got to believe that He loves you that He's going to take care of you. You know, a couple of reasons Jesus gives that worry is sin. And by the way, it's enough for Jesus to just say, don't do it. And that makes it sin. But He gives us reasons about this. One of the things He says is that worry is the worldview of unbelievers. He says, for after all these things the Gentiles seek. He says, don't worry about food and clothes and, and uh, what you're going to wear and what you're going to eat. Is those are the things a Gentile seek after. That's an unchristian worldview. You know, when you became a Christian, you set your eyes on Christ. You looked away from the world and you said, I'm going to serve Christ and I'm going to follow Him and I'm going to seek Him and that's what I'm going to be all about because I believe He is God's only Son and He died to save my soul. You agreed to be like the Christians he talks about in Hebrews, where he says when they first became Christians, he said, you took joyfully the spoiling of your goods. In other words, if people stole their stuff, oh well, hey, come have it, it's just stuff. Because the stuff didn't matter, because they had a more enduring, real promise of a home in heaven and an eternal reward there. So the stuff here didn't matter to them. It didn't make any difference. It was just stuff. You agreed to believe that He's the pearl of great price, that the kingdom of God is that valuable. Do you remember that story Jesus told? He said a guy was out and he found a pearl of great price. And so he went home and he sold everything he had and went and bought that pearl because it was more valuable than everything he had together. And when you become a Christian, you say to God, in effect, I believe Jesus is your Son, and He is worth more than everything in the world. And your kingdom is worth more than everything in the world. It's worth more than my career. It's worth more than my family. It's worth more than my health. It's worth more than everything in this world. And when you say it's not, when you're not willing to turn your back on this world, then you're looking at the world as an unbeliever. Someone who seeks the things of this world. Someone who seeks fulfillment and satisfaction and protection and comfort in the things of this world. And he says that's what worry is. It's an unchristian worldview. Secondly, he says, for your father, your heavenly father knows that you need all these things. You need all these things, and God knows that. God created you. So one, if you seek the things of this world, if that's your goal, that's your aim, that's what you're striving or working for, and you're not willing to do like like the rich young ruler wasn't willing to do, sell it all and give it away, if the things of this world mean that much to you, don't you think God knows you need things? 
Don't you think God knows you need clothes and food and things to sustain your life? You might go, well, yeah, but let's be real. Our problem is not that we think God doesn't know we need clothes and food, is it? Our problem is that I really, really want this particular kind of car. That's our problem. I really don't like that kind of food and I'd rather not have to eat that. That's gross, Mom. I mean, I appreciate your effort in cooking it, Mom, but can I just go make myself something? Because that's not that good, Mom. That's our problem, isn't it? Because we're rich people. God has given and blessed us with so much. And the more you have here on earth, I'm convinced one of the reasons that it's hard for rich people to go to heaven is because the more you've got here on this earth, the more your heart gets tangled up in what you've got. And the more you're you're frustrated and challenged with and worried about holding on to and keeping the things you've got. To worry about these things is to distrust the God who gave you life. So he goes ahead and he says this, but seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Everything that's here will be added to you. Everything you need will be added. But this promise is a conditional promise. Just like a lot of things in the Bible are conditional. God told the children of Israel, I'll protect you and be your God and I will bless you in these ways if you serve me. But if you go serve false gods, then I'm going to curse you. Many promises of God are conditional and this one is too. This one is conditional on seeking first the kingdom of God. Putting God's kingdom first. Let me ask you, is God and His kingdom first in your life? Say, well, that's a hard question to ask, isn't it? It's a hard question to answer. I mean, I think it is. I feel like it is. But there are probably areas in my life that need to be less important. How about you? Okay. We all struggle with those things. Is His kingdom more important to you or is building your career more important? Is His kingdom more important to you or is amassing assets more important to you? Is His kingdom more important to you or is having a good time more important to you and enjoying yourself? Is His kingdom more important to you or is protecting your loved ones against future Ills or problems or heartaches more important to you? What's more important to you? Jesus said, forsake everything to follow me. He says, even deny yourself. Deny everything to follow me because He's worth it. He is absolutely worth more than everything. You see, this is a promise to people who have sold out to God. I mean, people who are all in, not just partially in. So if I'm just partly in, I can't expect that this promise is for me. I've got to be whole in. You know, the Bible's full of stories of people who were followers of God who were wealthy. David, Solomon, uh, Abraham. A lot of these guys were very, very wealthy. There's nothing wrong with being wealthy. You can be wealthy and serve God. That's possible. But you know, the thing is, if I have a car, that car, if the kingdom of God is first, that car is for use for the kingdom. It's not mine. 
It's God's and He lets me use it for my life and for the kingdom. If I have a house, that house, nothing wrong with having a house. Nothing wrong with having a nice house. But that house is to be used for the kingdom, right? Nothing wrong with having a bank account. I've got a bank account. You've got a bank account. I hope you've got a bank account. Nothing wrong with having money in that bank account as long as that money's available for the kingdom of God. But when I start marking off stuff and saying, okay, Lord, well, you can have a certain percentage of my money, but the rest of it's mine. Or you can have my house on Friday nights, but the rest of the time it's mine. Or you can use my car unless I have something else planned, and then it's mine. You see, that's where we run into conflict. It's all His. All the time. Because we're His. We belong to Him. He he died for you. He gave you life. Made you in His image. David said this, I have been young and now I am old. Yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken or His descendants begging for bread. (laughs) That's the testimony of an old man. A man who the Bible says was a man after God's own heart. Somebody who did sell out for the kingdom of God. Now, it doesn't mean he never sinned. doesn't mean he never did selfish things. doesn't mean he never did actually terribly egregious, horrible things at times. But he was sold out to God. That's, a, that's the focus of the way he lived his life. And he said, one thing I've learned in all my years... He said, I've learned that the righteous will not be forsaken and their descendants won't beg bread. I've seen that. You know what? If you look at your own life, you can probably think about times God provided for you, can't you? I mean, can you think of times that you were serving Him and He provided in a way you didn't expect? I'm not talking about just money. But I'm prov- talking about providing for you. We've all got stories about that. Maybe this afternoon someone will have a a story of when God provided for them that they they want to share with us in the application time. God's looked out for us for a long time. And Jesus summarizes all these teachings by this. He says, Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow. The third time He says, don't worry. Because all these things I've talked about, don't worry about tomorrow. Don't think about it because tomorrow we'll have worry about its own things. You know what? If you wake up tomorrow, you're going to have some problems. It's just going to happen. And I say, well, I'm off for Thanksgiving. That's great. You're still going to have some problems tomorrow. I don't know what they're going to be, but tomorrow is going to have problems and there's those things will be dealt with When they come up, there's nothing you can do about that now. There's not a thing in the world you can do about problems that are going to happen tomorrow. But he says, sufficient for the day. Every time I move that way, that scratches. Sufficient for the day is the evil that's in that day. You're going to have some problems today, probably. There's going to be something you don't like about today. Something that doesn't go right. Somebody's going to tell you they don't like your hair or your dress or something. And that might uh, be a problem for you today. Something's, you may spill something on yourself today. I don't know. 
You may have a heart attack today. Can happen, can it, Eddie? I don't know what's going to happen today. But I know this. Everything that happens today, you can trust God. And if you can deal with it, then you need to. And if you can't, then you need to trust God. Because if it's bigger than you, there's nothing you can do about it. Don't worry. Trust God. Now listen, I know this is hard. I told you the story about when I was 10 years old. That hadn't completely changed in my life. I still at times get worked up and anxious and concerned and upset. You know, I've prided myself, which is probably a sinful phrase to say anyway, about believing that I've got pretty good control over my mind and I can focus and think on something. You know, you know I got a phone call. Well, actually, I made a phone call on Christmas about four years ago. We were riding in the car and my daughter in the back seat said, Dad, I just got a text and they think Justin has cancer. It was Christmas Day. And I grabbed my phone and I called Justin. I said, what's going on? He said, the, the doctor's still in the room, but they're telling me I've got cancer. That was, you know, for two or three days, I couldn't think about anything else. I just keep pushing it out of my mind. And it just kept, everything I thought about was just that. And that was so, so challenging and difficult and hard. But I've learned from that. One, I don't have near the control of my mind I thought I had. But number two, there was nothing I could do about it. Nothing. I did everything I could. And there was nothing nothing Justin could do about it. Nothing that all the doctors at the best uh, cancer hospital in the world could do about it. He still died. And all the worrying about it didn't change anything. And ultimately, I had to come to a point, and Justin and I spent a lot of time on the phone talking about this. He too had to come to a point that you just trust God and you say, you know what? I trust you. And I'm going to cast all my cares on you because I know that you care for me. And so while you go out today and you face worries and troubles, whether it's your kids or it's your health or your finances or whatever it is in your life that you have worry about, the summary of what Jesus says is this, you give it all to God. I mean, you give God your all. You sell out to follow Him. And then you just trust Him. You, you just bet every last dime you've got on Him. And then you trust Him. And if you will live that way, you won't be consumed with worry. In fact, in Philippians, he talks about worry and he says, if you'll do that, you'll have the peace of God that passes all understanding. You've all known people who are going through a terrible storm and you say, how are you doing this? And they go, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know, I'm just making it. That's because they've got the peace of God that passes all understanding. You can't understand it. My admonition to you today is don't worry. And if you're a worry ward, just decide today, I'm not going to worry anymore. 
Now, it's not going to fix it, but it's a good place to start. I'm not going to worry anymore. And if you really want to fix it, maybe you need to memorize this section, this passage right here, because it's a significant central player in the greatest sermon ever preached. And that's because people back then worried and people today worry. There's always worries in the world. Trust God, believe Him, and give everything you've got to serving Him. I hope you've been admonished and encouraged this morning. If you have a spiritual need, we do offer a song of invitation if you'd make that need known while we stand and sing.